this morning. I'd like to start off with uh, the book of Luke, the fourth chapter, starting with the 14th verse. And this chapter, starting from the 14th verse, talks about Jesus' ministry. And there are two contrasting events that take place in this chapter that we're going to look at. Jesus, after his temptation, he goes into Galilee. And he was teaching in the synagogues there. And then, so we'll start with verse 14 and we'll go on. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. As he was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everyone. Now he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed upon him. He began saying to them, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth, and yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Dr. Heal yourself. So all we've heard that took place in Capernaum do here in your hometown also. He also said, I assure you that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow at Zerapathath in Sidon. And, and in the prophet Elijah's time, there were many in Israel who had serious skin diseases, yet none of them were healed, only Naaman the Syrian. Verse 28 says, when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up and drove him out of town, and they brought him to the edge of a hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. What happens here? When Jesus is telling them this good news that today this scripture is fulfilled in your myth, they were excited. They were glad to hear this because they had been waiting for a Messiah. 
Well, the Messiah, as we, if we were to translate the word Messiah out of the Hebrew, it would be one who tells the good news. So God had appointed this, his son, to be the one to tell the good news to everyone. But why did they get upset? Because when Jesus says this, he also said, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days that when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over the land, Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Sidon. This widow we have heard in the Old Testament is the one that had the son who passed while Elijah was there during this famine. And Elijah took the boy up into the upper room, remember? And he brought this boy back to life. This was familiar to these people when they were, able, were hearing the scrolls testified about. And they knew that this was a miracle. But how could this son of Joseph be telling them this is what he was going to do also? The other one was that there were many skin diseases in that land and Elijah wasn't sent to all of them but only to this one called Naaman, the Syrian, not even a Jew. Isn't this a foretelling of how the gospel is going to be brought to the world? The whole world. But yet people in his hometown were so upset. Why? Because he also says that not everyone is going to be accepting of this news. Not everyone is going to believe this, what this Jesus is saying. And so there will be people who reject him, that don't hear the word and take it upon themselves to lose their salvation. Because God isn't willing that we would lose salvation. God is willing that we all accept him through the forgiveness of our sins, knowing that he is the heaven gifter, if you will, that he is able to give us heaven. So he's using these examples, Jesus is, to bring to mind these people that they should really be paying attention to what he's saying, even if he is not a rabbi, not learned in their schools, and the son of a menial laborer, a carpenter. So when he says this, that today this scripture is fulfilled in your myth, he is talking about the coming of the news. But this is also recorded where he reads in Isaiah. Let's go to the 61st chapter of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to the prisoners. Isn't this what Jesus quoted? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our Lord's God's vengeance. To comfort all who mourn to provide those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, splendid clothes instead of despair, and they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. 
Oh, this is actually what David says in the first psalm also. You know, he who spends his life meditating on the word is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His His leaves will never wither and his fruit will never go away. But let's look at what he says here in verse two. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. This is the second part of Jesus's ministry. Because Jesus resurrecting from the dead has gone up to sit with his father in heaven. But what is going to happen in the end times? Jesus is going to come back. He's going to live on the earth for a thousand years. And he is going to proclaim this kingdom back to the Jews because they were his first chosen people. That doesn't mean he's excluding anybody. That means he's going to take his people back from where they have been persecuted, where, they are, where they've gone away to uh, avoid persecution, if you will, to go away, but he's going to call them all back. This is going to happen before the end of the world. And when the end of the world come, God's vengeance is going to be upon those, the devil, and those who choose not to follow him. This is true. This is what the word of God says. So we have to be aware of this as Christians. We have to be aware of what God has in store for the world. But if we look at the second part of this chapter in chapter 4 in Luke, where Jesus goes to Capernaum, verse 31, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. So Jesus moves his ministry to Capernaum. He doesn't stay in his hometown. Why? Because he's already witnessed that these people are angry enough to kill him. The first time he reads scripture from the old Torah, the scroll, and he proclaims the truth to them, they didn't want to hear it. They wanted him to be banished, to go away. Why? Because when the word of God comes to us as individuals, when we hear this word in our sinful state, we are pricked by this. We hurt by this. Because why? It speaks truth to our conscience. It speaks truth to our sinful self. And we are become more and more aware that we need to do something about our state And the state that we need to do something about is to be washed and cleansed from our sin. So when he goes down to Capernaum, it says here, let's look at verse 33. In the synagogue there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So even when Jesus says, even the devil can quote scripture. These demons know that God 
is the God of salvation. And these demons that possess people can be cast out by the word of God. So many times we're unwilling or unable to even come to comprehend that there are demons. These demons do not, are not able to kill you, but they're able to put you in a place where you are so fearful of what God is and what God can do that you want to leave and maybe per perhaps kill yourself, but not a choice that God would have for you. Because God would say, you are my creation. I love you. I do not want to see you destroyed. And because we are sinful and sinners, he has promised over and over and over again, even in the Old Testament, we see how this happens, that God has provided a way for those who truly want to believe to come back to him, to be saved by him. He's given them prophets and scripture through the Torah to read and to understand that he is truly the one of salvation. But what does Jesus say in verse 35? Jesus rebuked them and said, be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him down before him, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over all, and they all kept saying to one another, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. So just as sin has taken hold of us, and can continue to keep us, when we are cleansed from that sin, we feel this uplifting. We feel this freedom. We feel this freedom in the spirit. We're able to live free from the sin that oppresses us. Now, will these demonic thick, uh, minions or whatever you want to call them come back? Of course. Why is that? Because the devil cannot stand when there's love. He will take every opportunity to break love. He will cause divisions, derisions. He will cause people to stop believing, to leave, to take on something different, or never accept it in the beginning. So what he does then when he commands these authorities to come out, he's proving to the people that are witnessing there, as he can prove to us in our own experience, when we have felt forgiveness from a sin that has been oppressing us, this freedom, this joy that we have, this freedom in the Holy Spirit that we get, to be free, not oppressed, we would never want to give that up as Christian. We would never want Jesus to leave or forsake us because he's promised even in the Old Testament, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never go away from you. If you choose me, I will never leave you. Now this is hard for us as human beings to actually put into perspective because we live in this world that is so cluttered and crowded up with things that could take us away. 
But the freedom that we have is in simplistically believing the gospel message. There are things that would come in place that would, would happen. These are caused by the demons that are out there to try to take us away from believing. Can we live in a society that has all these cluttered things coming up and all these things being thrown at us by those demonic forces? Of course. Because to believe isn't difficult. To teach about the will of God is not difficult. It's simple. It's not complicated. So after he left the synagogue in verse 38, he entered into Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. They asked him about her, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she got up and immediately began to serve them. Here is another miracle that takes place. First of all, he drives out a, an unclean spirit, which is something that oppresses a person in mind, in their mind. After he leaves the synagogue, he goes to Simon's house, and his mother-in-law is sick with a fever. He heals her physically. So Jesus is the great healer. He can heal us both mentally and physically. Even if we were suffering with cancer, even if we have any kind of other ailment that comes on because, of, because we're human, Jesus heals us in the way that we know what our eternity is. He heals us and he lifts us up through whatever we're suffering physically. But the illustration is here is that Jesus is a healer both physically and mentally. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on each one of them. He would heal them. Also demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus tell these demonic things to not proclaim him? Because he didn't want people to believe in the demons. He wanted people to believe that he alone was the message giver, the word of salvation giver. He wanted them to know that he alone, through his Father and the Spirit that he would leave later, would be giving them this opportunity to stay healed, having their conscience cleaned and their physical being in the best state it could be in. So when we understand this this morning, when we look at this, we could think about all the stories that we know about people who have had uh, sicknesses and have been somehow healed. Those would be gifts of God. But we also know that God takes people at young ages, very young ages. This too is the will of God. But we, in our minds, we put perspective on uh, the human side of all these things. We don't look at what God wants in the whole of 
time. Because we have, that we've even discussed, God is beyond time. He doesn't count minutes and hours like we do. He is from the beginning. He will be forever. So when we live this minuscule life that we live, what he's looking for is a devotion that we can give to him through the love that we have when we understand that no matter what our sickness is, he can heal us. He can bring us salvation. And when we have this viewpoint, we will be like those who are gathered into the eternal Jerusalem on the last day. When he says to us who are believing, come, ye blessed of my Father, come home, be well forever, because whatever is temporary is gone. Whatever is eternal, which we take on through the belief that we have in Jesus through the Holy Spirit, having our sins forgiven, we are his forever. Why would we not want this? Why would we be so afraid to take this on and believe this? Because those things that are in our head that the demonic spirits tell us, well, are you really sure? Are you really positive? Put those doubts aside. Put those demons out of your mind. Because he really truly has promised salvation and everlasting peace for everyone who believes in him. And this word that we read through this book tells us that, gives us that assurance. And if we don't understand the word that we're reading at the moment, read, the, read before that, and read after that, and read it over again. And he will give you understanding through the Spirit because God really, truly loves us all. He does not want one of us, his little children, to perish. So this morning, you can lift yourselves up in the Holy Spirit. Be blessed, knowing that Jesus is yours. And that this gift that he's given you through his blood and through his Holy Spirit is yours. No one can take it away from you. Not even those demons that would come and try to oppress you and tell you different. Because God has said so. And God does not lie. In Jesus' name, amen.